0: Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of female celebrities. I'm your host, Chelsea DeVantes. I'm a TV writer, comedian, filmmaker, and sometimes I'm in stuff too. Now, if you want to support the podcast, you can become a member of our Patreon at patreon.com slash Chelsea DeVantes. It's just my name. It's linked in the show notes. For $5 a month, you get all the bonus episodes and so much more, and you fully support this podcast. And if you're not going to become a Patreon, but you do want to support us, then make a post about it or leave us a review. It helps so much. Now, this week, we are book clubbing. Diane Carroll's memoir titled The Legs Are the Last to Go. An amazing title. It was published in 2008. This book is so fun, so wild. It will detail an eight-year-long affair with Sidney Poitier, so wild. And it talks about forgiveness in a way that made me feel like maybe I can learn forgiveness, too? Mm, I, you know, we're questioning it, but it, it was really good. Yes, with one look, I put words to shame, just one look.
1: Thoughts to play. one tear in my eye makes the whole world cry
0: That was Diane Carroll singing in Sunset Boulevard in the title role of Norma Desmond she was the very first black actress to ever get to sing and play that role and it plays a huge part in this book and also in the downfall of her marriage but, it also has a cookie tie-in. If you listen to the Patty Lapone episode, the role of Norma Desmond in the musical Sunset Boulevard is the pinnacle moment of Patty's book. It's why she's mad at Andrew Lloyd Webber because he stole the role from her and then gave it to Glenn Close, and if you may have remembered, Glenn Close never called. She never called Patty. And um it's also the reason why Patty Lapone has a pool Uh, that is titled the Andrew Lloyd Webber Memorial Pool in her house because she sued Andrew for unpaid wages and that settlement became her pool. All of that is around the role Norma Desmond. Okay, so that's a little tie-in. Before we dive into this episode, here is your reminder. It is your last chance to buy tickets to our live show in Los Angeles. It is this Sunday, June 12th at 5 p.m., Pacific Standard Time, uh, the year 2022. It's 5 p.m. You know, it's when you drink white wine. It felt perfect for our show. And the special thing about this show is that there is a live stream. And as long as you purchase the ticket for your live stream beforehand, you can view it up to seven days after the event whenever you want. So it's just like playing a podcast whenever you want. But really cool visuals. Um, the quality that our producer Kate puts together for the live shows is truly impressive and a ton of fun stuff happens. We're going to play celebrity book club drinking bingo. We're going to play it live. Uh, as we go through the episode, I've created the bingo cards. They're on the Patreon. If you want one, DM me. Um, I also will be handing them out at the live show and we'll be taking a sip when there's the psychic moment, the husband, moment, all the moments. On top of that, I have amazing guests. We've each read a Judd's book. So, Winona Judd, Naomi Judd, and Ashley Judd. We've read all three memoirs. I cannot wait to talk about these women. It's one of my favorite families to talk about. And we'll be doing other fun stuff that we can only do at a live show. There will be um, some wild giveaways. I will be giving legit a wedding dress away inspired by Celine Dion. It's a long story. It'll be on the episode. So, get your tickets. It's linked in the show notes. Um, You can also go to my Instagram at Chelsea Devantes. It's linked in that little link tree, and that's how you get your tickets. Now, let's dive into the Diane Carroll episode, and just a little warning. Our guest's mic was not working, something we discovered after we recorded the episode, so we used her backup audio, so you might hear it's just like a slightly less quality than normal, but it's still great, and the episode was so good that it We didn't even bother trying to re-record because it was just magical. So let's dive in and please welcome our guest to the show, Lacey Mosley. Hi. What's up? I was saying before I got on the pod, before we started recording,
1: I was like, only the baddest bitch in the the world could get me to read a book for a podcast. I was like. (laughs) Top notch,
0: Chelsea. Everything you do. Go. I listen, l- look look out for a little a little thank you in your email. I truly could not believe you said yes to reading a whole damn book. And I will say I introduced all my guests with the story of how we first met. Mm-hmm. And you and I have never met. Mm-hmm. But because Yasser said so many amazing things about the show you guys did together. And and then you're on a black lady sketch show with my friend Ashton Cole Black, who said mm-hmm. so many amazing things, I was like, maybe I can make her be my friend by asking her to read a book. Oh, we homegirls, right.
1: <laughs> Everybody else, <laughs> when we, we met been on uh, work and checks and stuff. I also worked with Yasser on a show that will never come out, and I really hope that they burned all of the Why footage. is it
0: not coming out?
1: God is blessed to me. God is blessing me. Okay. <laughs> because I do not want that <laughs> show to ever see the light of day. Yasser was fantastic. He was hilarious, but I was playing he some... He said you were fantastic, well, too. It was... I, I just don't know that it's gonna uh, age well. I was basically like Cardi B, but a time traveling rapper, ratchet girl. It was, it was a lot. Yeah. But Yasser is so great. He said so many amazing things about you. So is Ashley, so I love meeting internet friends. We followed each other online for a few years. So I feel like I know things about you. And you said that you saw a tweet that I put up about Diane Carroll. And then you suggested this book to me.
0: Yes. It was a real, um, inception moment where I was like, cause I had already wanted to be your friend. You're obviously, you have a huge podcast and I was like, I wonder if Lacey would ever come on. And then, yeah, you tweet about Diane. So let me ask you, um, what, cause I sent you a couple other options. So I was like, just in case she mm-hmm. she doesn't want to do Diane's book. What drew you to this one? What drew you to her? So
1: I met Diane Carroll when I was waiting tables. I was a sushi hoochie. We had to wear tight ass denim dresses that like my titties was just sitting up and it was a lot and heels on concrete floor. And it was oh my God. Yes. And so, all night. Yes. And celebrities came in all the time and we had the protocol of like, you don't address them. You don't ask for pictures. You kind of just treat them like normal people. And my mom always said, if you want to be a star, you can't be a groupie. So honey, I don't be running after people on TV. You know, I'm just like polite.
0: That's great advice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Also, you are a star on TV. By the way, I usually give people's <laughs> bios, but you know lazy from a lot of things, Florida Girls, the podcast Scam Goddess, a Black Lady Sketch Show, and the iCarly series. So you, but I will say when you were a Sushi Hoochie, how far, how long ago was this? Oh, this was
1: five years ago when I okay. was still slanging Cali Rolls. Cali rolls, I can't <laughs> even talk.
0: California Rolls, no, shout. <laughs> I was like, you call them Cali
1: Rolls? That's, that's awesome. I'm gonna, I'm know, like, can I have a Cali Roll, please? I, I had a passing from Millionaire, familiarity with Japanese, like we would have to go to the sushi counter and be like, oh, why so? Oh, Mask. And like, you know, that means check, please. So I had Diane in my amazing second, and it was a slow Sunday night and she was there with her daughter um, and I had to do it. I was like, it was slow. She was cool as fuck. I was like, waiting on her. And I was like, Hey, I don't normally do this, but you changed my life. I'm a black actress. I look up to you so much. You opened so many doors for me. Like I like Loki. I think I cried. And. <laughs> oh i'm like crying now thinking about it oh my god but um yeah she was so sweet and she was really receptive and she really appreciated the compliment and as i read her book i was like "Yo, like she actually probably did appreciate that moment and i wasn't bothering her
0: it's funny because me reading the book too i'm like oh i bet like a really sincere uh moment like that that she would love it i feel like i know her now wait i have a question what what um, of hers, like, what role changed your life the most? Or what do you remember, like, of Diane? Where I like- mean, that iconic slap in Dynasty, like, Miss
1: mm-hmm. girl, like, to see a Black woman on television and, like, be
0: a huge bitch, but a rich
1: bitch and just reading down, it was everything. Like, I loved it. And it was a huge moment for Black women in television.
0: Yeah, Dominique Devereaux, mm-hmm. such a name. And also, yeah, Dynasty was just such a huge show. And... She really did. Like, yeah, when did you get to see, like, a Black woman play that type of indulgent character? Have money, and, have
1: power. Because yes. I know a lot of people will be like, well, you know, all we do is play bitches now. But I'm like, <laughs> but at that it time, was, we only play low status. we only, you know, slaves or really poor, downtrodden people. So it was a big deal. Yeah. But
0: she was also a star, too. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't, like, yeah, the uh, side bitchy woman. So or the really like, revolutionary. She was, like a star in that show and she got it when she was like 50 or 60 and she was the one we'll get to it but she was the one who was like i think you should put me in this show i think you should put me in dynasty and he was like yeah okay and honey diane was out here buffing them gums she was gonna get that
1: money and that's right i have to say you bring up her age like her being 50 at the time too which she talks about in the book it made me think of when i watched hustlers in theater and i watched j-lo pole dance and i cried chelsea i cried (laughs)
0: It's a cry worthy moment when she is 50 years old and she's hotter than I, I'm trying to think of like when I was at my most fertile, you know, right. you know like when, am I at 17, I couldn't, I couldn't stand within a mile of J-Lo. <laughs> right. Just the
1: baddest bitch and continues to be like, I look up everything she does. I don't wear lipstick. I only wear lip gloss and tinted lip glosses. Like I was like, what's J-Lo doing to stay young? Human girl hormone. Where can I buy that?
0: Okay, wait, are you on her product line? Are you are you getting that JLo skincare cuz you know she's not using her own skincare. That's a big, she's not. I can not use celebrity endorsed products
1: unless it's something like Fenty where the girls actually really use it, you know, professionally. So
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't I don't think JLo's using her products. But I will say this, I, so I once was like, I'm going to do everything JLo does too. And then I read this interview where she was like, "I'm naturally blessed to have a flat stomach." Like kind of no matter what happens with my thighs, my butt, whatever, blah blah, 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 I will always have a flat stomach. And I was like, we are not we are the wow. we are not the same. We will always be opposites and I cannot dress like you. I cannot walk well, like I was like, Oh, we're just different women and that's when I said goodbye to copy
1: didn't lie because the girls be out here like I am all vegan diet, I only eat uh the finest watercress and grass.
0: And like she was just yeah. like, No, I'm I was born fine. I don't know what to tell y'all. Yeah, yeah. I also think it was in the years where everyone's like, Your butt is so big. Mm-hmm. And I think she was like, My stomach is flat though. It's
1: crazy how the
0: world changed
1: because when she played Selena, she had that fatty like because Selena had the thicky thick thick. She had the yes, you yes. know, I love Selena. Can not say a dead
0: woman had the thicky thick thick? I'll say it like you can I think you can. (laughs) I think you should say it again on this pod. It'll come up again. Selena's such a good movie and I think I think it is J Lo's best movie. she's so incredible in Selena too. Like the movie's she's fantastic but her butt
1: was big and that was in a time where you know if someone said fat ass it was a real insult and now if someone said, i got a fat ass oh, yeah. I'm like thank you so much sir uh, i really appreciate it, it but in black culture we
0: always like booties and then everyone yeah. kind of caught up later and now the, then they the, buy them white people caught up let's get into this book <laughs> so so if you don't know Diane, you do She starred in Porgy and Bess. She was a Carmen. She played Julia in the NBC sitcom Julia, which actually I had never seen. But reading in this book, I tried to track it down and couldn't. Um, But she was like the first black actress to be the lead of a network sitcom. And she was just a mom and a sitcom. And it it went like three seasons. Yeah. Um, So page nine in the book, I just want to read this as our start. She said, Maybe writing this book is my way of conceding that I'm a little wiser now than I am slim, a little more willing to be amused than I am to be swept off my feet. But that doesn't mean I can't be the style-conscious shopper I've always been. That's just too much fun to give up. Superficial, you think? deeply but that's showbiz and that's me and i said and me and me when i tell you i am diane carol to the point
1: where it was a little scary um it changed tell me. me because one she's a cancer i'm a cancer two she's a bad bitch i'm a bad bitch three i wear my makeup my hair my lashes my designer clothes you go all as out. armor and i love to show up and yes. give the girls a fashion moment And so I really understood where she was coming from. And she was also coming from a place of respectability politics. Like her whole life, you know, she had to present herself as worthy to be alive for white people to hopefully not kill her, which is very much something that we still do. We still, you know what I mean? And um, I grew up in a lot of white spaces um, and I really resonated with a lot of the stuff that she was saying that had to do with that. Also, I had a very strong matriarchy. My grandmother and my mother were bad bitches. My grandmother also sewed outfits and dresses. Like, honestly, when I was reading this book, it kind of scared me a little bit. And I kind of felt like Diane was with me at times.
0: I, I truly feel that the book, I know this is so dumb, but I do get very spiritual on this podcast. Sometimes I do think there's like a spiritual connection with books mm-hmm. and like, me the moments I'm reading them, I'm like, this is for a reason. I think like you chose this book for a reason. The podcast forces you to read a book. You never would. But then it's like, it's funny because when I was reading it, I know of you from the internet and I was thinking of you. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, especially with the fashion mm-hmm. And she loves to show out. I love to show out. And I was like, oh, my God. And Lacey, like, oh, you loves do to love show to show out, Chelsea, because you do love it. I love it. We show. have this in common. <laughs> <laughs> but but like, yeah, like always like your garments, your clothes, your hair. And like she never drops it from the start, which I love. Um, OK, I have a weird little thing that I almost feel bad bringing up, but it's on my mind so much. OK. Diane is all over Cicely Tyson's memoir. Ooh. All over it. She's mentioned um, as if they're our best friends. They, they like, uh, with Miles Davis and, like, uh, who Cicely was, like, dating and married. Like, she's all over the book. Diane didn't mention Cicely, at all. Cicely Tyson. <laughs> and she does mention other people. Like, she wrote about Dionne Warwick quite a bit. She... There's a picture of her in Dion Warwick. She wrote about being friends with Miles Davis, who is Sicily's I want to say ex husband, who like cheated on her. She went through all these things with. Never mentioned Sicily. And I'm not trying to start <laughs> anything. We start in beef with two of the day girlies. And I know it's this not okay. It's not okay for me to do this? But I can't get over it because she was just all over Cicely Tyson's book, which was written after this book was written. So, and it's, Cicely doesn't strike me as the type of person who would like read this book, not be in it, and still include her. Right. You know what I mean? I'm just, I don't know. I don't, I, I found it odd. Did you find it odd? I
1: found it a little odd, but also like when she was telling the stories, like with, um, was it, what live show did she do? Was it Porky and Best? Which one was she live in? And it was, who's that other Black woman who was the lead and was older at the time? Um. Oh, I, I read the book like two months okay. ago now. So now I literally finished it rant. last night. So, shame on me. I actually <laughs> should know. Um, but yeah, so basically, another Black woman who was really famous and she is um, darker skinned. I feel like, and she treated Diane real bad and, like, you know, was like, you too cute, girl. I'm trying to hide your face. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know if she. That's right. That's I right. She was a Broadway actress. I don't know what her relationship was with darker-skinned Black women. That I cannot speak to. And there were some interesting things in the book about their skin tone and like wanting to be a part of the light-skinned community because you know in Harlem they had like the bougie light-skinned community, um, like the who went to college and could pass a paper bag test and wanted to aspire to whiteness, which caused a lot of toxic colorism in the Black community that still exists to this day. So I don't know. If Diane was a colorist, oh, I can't speak to that.
0: But but I, I will say, like, after reading Cicely's book and now feeling like I know her, like, she would never put up with that. right Do you know what I mean? Like, she would never, like, I know her, I think I know something is there, and now we'll never know what it is, but, like, I know something's there. All right, well, we'll move on. Okay, so this goes to kind of what you're talking about, but I want to read a, a paragraph from page 13 that's just, like, a small glimpse oh. into what it was like for her auditioning as an actress. She said, I go through this every time I audition, even after NBC hired me to play Julia, a nurse and a single mother. Hal Cantor, the creator of the show, had reservations. I love the show's full name. Mm -hmm. He was a charming and outspoken white Southerner who'd been a writer on Amos and Andy, oh no, among many other projects. And he had a firm sense of what middle America wanted for its first African-American sitcom star in 1968. And despite the network's faith in me, Hal was not completely convinced that I was the right woman for the role. He felt my image was too worldly- and glamorous i wrote i'll kill him um he's dead but it really speaks to this thing where she yeah she would always go into respectability and trying to she never was like acclimating but just the idea of like you can cast me i am a refined woman and then people would also be like well now you're too refined and i and now you can't play this black mother anymore because you're too glamorous and it was like horrifying on either side. Right. And I did find it's Pearl Bailey. And Pearl Bailey was a darker skinned woman. That's
1: who it was. I was going to drive me crazy. But, yeah, like, she. I remember her trying to, like, dumb down her looks a little bit and be less of a bad bitch so that she could get the role.
0: Yeah, get the role of mom, because it was like, uh, and it's like, in what world would another actress, they'd be like, sorry, you're too hot to be in this sitcom. <laughs> like, you're too it's almost beautiful. a flex. And I
1: won't lie, when I got Florida Girls, I did get a call when we did the pilot presentation that was, we don't, like, you got the role, but this is a presentation, and you know that people can be recast, and someone was recast from the original Florida Girls, um, uh, from the oh, original no. four of us. And so, like, I really took that to heart
0: what so was the, the note,
1: note they were giving is, is you? so funny. I swear to God, this woman. The note was, all of these women are dirt poor, and you still come off like you've never been poor a day in your life. And I haven't. And so... <laughs> <laughs> you said, thank you. <laughs> oh, like, and... and. Yes, because when you're black, like people expect that you are poor when you show up anywhere. And I used to use that to my advantage. I went to school on full scholarship. It was an academic scholarship. They gave me a partial scholarship. And my mother called the school and was like, Y'all are gonna give my daughter a full scholarship because you're if you don't use that money, you lose it and she's gonna add so much value to your school. So go ahead and up that and then she'll come. And it worked. oh wow, oh, yeah. She love a bad your mother. Friend. And I'm like, and it worked. So when I would be in school sometimes and I have a marketing degree and I had to take like finance and like operations, and like all these crazy hard classes. And some of them, I would go to office hours and I would wear sweats and look a little crazy. And so that people could assume that I was like poor. I'm like, yeah, you know, I got the community on my back. If you could just. um
0: Oh, my God. The original, the original scam goddess came (laughs) out. (laughs) I was poor anyway, because I'm black. Yeah, and it's on yeah. them. It's on them. For I've having had directors that be on the with of And be like, yeah, because you know, growing up in the hood,
1: and I was like, I didn't I don't I never used to
0: start. Yeah, why do you you assume that? Yeah. That is wild. And yeah, I've I've watched people get recast from the other side of the table and it's 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 awful to even witness. And like it can happen after a table read. Like you can be cast like we're going to table read the script. And you come in, you're like, oh, I've got the role. Someone does the table read. It doesn't go well. They no longer have the role. And Diane like goes through so much of her auditioning experience and so much of it has, like, racial prejudice in it. Um, Like, she doesn't get invited to certain casting parties or she's booed out of certain clubs or she's only given certain roles or she's told, like, to be a Black woman, you have to do this. I'm trying to think of one of the stories, like, in Porgy and Bess, she goes to the director and she's like, hey, you should get a Black hairstylist, someone who works with Black hair, which is, by the way, I know it's something that's still a problem on sets and this is what, this is, like, in 1960-something. So, the director is like, how dare you tell me anything on my set? Like, you, like, go back to your place as a little actress. One night, it's raining, and however they had her hair styled, her hair starts to, like, get wet and totally change, and it's not going to match the shot, and she just lets it, she's like, it just keeps raining, gets more humid, she just keeps letting it happen, and finally he comes up to her, and he's like, what do I do? What do I do? And she's like, you should have hired the hairstylist who would know what to do. <laughs> and now you have to shut down set because this is gonna take eight hours. And he was like, I'm I am sorry. I'm I'm so sorry. And like leaves. And like the white stylist is like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> She's like, I don't know the hair. It was just straight a
1: second ago and now it's curly. What is this? Um yeah. when she said that, uh, because Diane was a model, like she started as a model and like kind of carried that modeling way about her into acting as well. But she was told at her school of refinement, like, keep some makeup in your purse. Like, get your hair done because these girls are not going to know how to do anything with your face. And I keep a bag with makeup and flat irons and hair stuff with me To this day, if I don't know the people, the hair department or anything like that, I come prepared for them to fuck my hair up. And she even said at a certain point, she just switches to wearing wigs. And I'll wear weaves or braids so I don't even have to worry about the chance of a stylist doing something to it other than curling it, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's actually, that's that's what Gabrielle Union said in her book too. She was like, I like weaves on sets because they will just ruin my hair, my life. Then they'll be like, oh, you can't play this role because now your hair looks different. And it's like- I will say it is the amount of people I know who said things like that is like really too high for 2022. Like 2022? Yeah. In 2020, I was in The Hollywood Reporter
1: with Natasha Rothwell to Raji P. Henson, who's had a career since I was alive. And we were all saying the same thing. And the local makeup union actually got mad at us and was trying to act like it wasn't true. But we're like, boo-boo, y'all don't know how to do our faces. Or people, they say they do and then they don't. I did a movie and this this is still triggering to me. I did a movie and I was playing a bride, a runaway
0: bride. Oh, we've seen this.
1: Oh, <laughs> you know, the makeup artist touched my face and he goes, you have gorgeous skin. I don't even have to do anything to it. He gave me setting powder you and some great did. lash and sent me on my goddamn way. And I cried in my trailer and I didn't want to change it or be difficult. So I'm
0: just in a movie playing a runaway bride with no makeup on my face. Wow, well, you look gorgeous, but, like, what a monster. And, like, it is so funny to pretend, like, well, your skin's just so good. So good. Makeup. It's like no movie on Earth. No. Well, not no movie, but most movies on Earth, like, everybody needs makeup. Even, like, it doesn't matter. Like, everyone gets makeup. The men, too. Yeah. I know that movie. I'll look up that makeup. I'll send them a letter. I'll find them. I'll find them. Um, well, okay, yes. So, like you said, she starts as a model. She grows up in finishing school. She's just very, very, very... Um, like regal and also in her own words, uptight. And one of the like other things she deals with in this business is that she says she has a formalness and a stiffness and intimacy issues that her mom passed on to her. But it like shows up in her acting jobs of like a one casting director is like, who told you you could play a sexy woman? She was like, literally no one. He's like, all right, you're the friends then. She's like, that seems right. She shot back Whoever told you you were sexy, no one. Mm-hmm. Um and then she talks about her mom yes. passing this attitude on to her and sometimes it's it's like amazing like Marlon Brando like goes out to dinner with her and as she's walking out he like pats her butt and she turns around slaps him across the face and screams at him and she was like my mother was speaking through me of like absolutely not and I was like that is so cool. But then she passed on other things like, I have to share this one story. Her parents get a divorce. Later in life, her dad remarries. And so her mom, uh, now in her 60s and like she's in, uh, Diane is in her 30s. Her mom tells her, Mm -hmm. you know what I heard about your father's new wife? She's disgusting. She's a slut. She does oral sex. (laughs) And she like tells Diane this. And Diane is like, good, good. I'm glad dad has a sexual partner and like oral sex is not bad. And her mom's like silenced. And I was like, Oof. she really went up on her mama in her sixties and yelled at her mama
1: about <laughs> sucking dick. She was like, if you had sucked daddy dick, he would have stayed with us and we would have been a family. Why couldn't you just get on your knees and do a little pepper grind and, and, and sucky sucky?
0: What's wrong with you? She really yelled at her mom okay I want to say Lacey's taking you know not all of that was verbatim <laughs> but I would say very close um no you're right she's literally like had you had sex with our dad like maybe you'd still be with him and then a big part of the book is her mom's still being in love with his dad and when his wife dies or they divorce he then like comes back to Diane's mom yeah and like um I mean oh that is a that is a conversation I wouldn't I just, that takes too much. That takes too much. I do think sometimes
1: when Diane's critical of her mother in the book, I don't think she was giving her mom enough grace. Like a lot of times with black mothers, especially, they have to be so strong that they will not tell you about the traumatic things that have happened in their life. We don't know if her mom has been assaulted. We don't know what her mom's relationship with sex and sexuality is. And I kind of wish that Diane had given her mom a little more grace because maybe you don't know what's behind that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because uh, another big part of this is that her mom starts accompanying Diane on like when she's singing or when she's in shows and she would kind of point out that her mom loved not being home and her mom kind of escaped their marriage by being Diane's chaperone and that she wish she would like go home and take care of the family. And she had a like a baby sister who's like five when her mom just like starts disappearing. However, I don't know if you had the same thing, but Later in the book, you really find out Diane's relationship to her own daughter, and she's very honest and aware and speaks about all her flaws, and so I want to give her grace in admitting all of it, but I read it, and I was like, wow, she was rough. She was a rough mom herself, so to be rough towards her mom, yes, yes, and it's like, wait a minute, you—sounds like you—she might have even been a little worse. Oh, yeah, she probably
1: was a little worse,
0: (laughs) I mean, Diane goes on a summer vacation with the Kennedys and just doesn't bring her daughter when she's 10. Even though, even though kids are allowed, there's kids on the island or whatever, there's kids on the yacht, they have their own little kid club, and she was like, I just didn't think my daughter would have fun, so she like went away for the summer like, and just left her. And I was like, okay, that's tough, it's tough. Diane said, fuck them kids. And she said, yeah, and it's just one, it's just Suzanne. And she's like, sorry, Suzanne, you're staying home and you can't come on the vacation where other children are. Yeah. And I mean, part of me, I guess the kind
1: part of me, because Diane was an extremely sheltered child. And so was I. When the kids were out playing, doing breakfast shit, when there was high school parties, when there was sleepovers, I never got to go. And I remember my mom was a social worker for a very brief time. And she would say like, oh, I'm supposed to drop you off like at somebody else's house. What happens if their dad get mad and shoot the whole family? You know, that happens, right? Oh, oh. And, so she was like, so i could a sleepover with all the other cheerleaders and kids because my mom thought I was going to get murdered by their family. And I mean, she wasn't taking no risk. And then the only times that I could go to stuff like that with other kids, my mom would come to the house. She would sit down with their parents. They would have sweet tea, very Southern. She would get to know them. And then she would decide if I could stay. Like my mom was very protective. I'm a
0: big fan of your mom. Um, but I wonder if maybe Diane didn't bring her kids no, because she no. wasn't going to happen to her. But that's the difference though. Your mom is like, you can't go. You have to stay with me. <laughs> and Diane was like, you go somewhere else, I'm summering. Like, it definitely wasn't a protective thing. She even brought in the book, like, I just didn't think it would, like, fit Suzanne one. Well. I was like, fit? Everybody fits on a boat or a beach.
1: She said that she had Suzanne to save her marriage, that her mother suggested that she have a baby to save their marriage.
0: Sibling fights are unavoidable. But what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Dis Tell, is hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it and I said it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults how I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes, some are motherfucking villains, but you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally, so I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. I mean, let's get into the first marriage. Okay, so the marriages are out of order in the book, but one of the best parts of this book is that it is a love life book. And she's like, I'm a mess. I was a mess at the beginning. I was a mess at the end. But it's like a perfect rom-com where at the end of the book, she's like, I am single and I'm learning to love my me time. And I was like, if this is not a Nancy Myers rom-com, I don't know it is. She's in a white sweater and white pants walking down the beach. And she's like, I put on my slippers in the morning. I have I have a book. And I was like, wow, what? A, this is great. Okay, so mm-hmm. her first husband is named Monty. She goes on a date with him. Then someone is like, hey, I can't believe you're going out with Monty. He's white. And she goes, what? He is? And I said- I was like, that's impossible. But then there's pictures of Monty in the book. And I was like, all right, okay. She calls up Monty. She's like, Monty, are you white? And he's like, yeah, I'm Jewish too. Like, is that okay? And she's like, I don't think so. But they fall in love and they get married. And I want to read. <laughs> Did you find that nuts? <laughs> she so She called to confirm. She's like, hey, Monty, baby, what's up? It's me, Diane. I just have one quick question. Are you a white <laughs> Yeah, he was like, "Yeah, I'm Jewish." Oh, and then she said, "How come you're so tan?" And he uh, he had a tanning bed, and I guess he was just like in that tanning bed all day long or something. I don't, I don't know. I, I, who knows? Who knows? But she didn't know. Like a Kardashian, he was light skinned black. She was like, "No, you are a light." Yeah, I think like maybe she just assumed. I don't know. So, anyways, but she still falls in love with him, and she. She said, um, she, she basically, she falls in love with him, but then like she has all these like little fights with him. And she says, 50 years and four marriages later, I know the fault in that relationship is mine. And then she said, she gets an audition for Porgy and Bess. And she doesn't want to do it because it's not the type of film she likes, not type of role. And he insists it's going to be good for her career. And then she wrote, but it wreaked havoc on my marriage and the next 10 years of my life. It was on the set of that movie that I met, Sidney Poitier. Whew.
1: The original city boy. And one of my friends actually just told me the other day, cause I've been single for almost 10 years and I- Like a
0: full on, like flings are involved, hookups? Are... There were flings,
1: there were hookups, but no relationships. Okay. And I have learned about myself that I come off unavailable and a little cold. Um, okay.
0: It, it just in like it's so funny because you're such a warm person, but on dates are you like gross? Get out of here.
1: <laughs> well, I had to learn on dates. It wasn't about trying to sell myself to a person. Like you should be listening yeah. to them. You should be asking them questions. Mm. My mom always said you never tell a man or a woman what you want in a partner because they'll be that just long enough to get what they want. You know, so you have to get to
0: know them. Your mom needs to write a book and come on. To, yeah, actually, can I book right. her on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Lauren loves the spotlight
1: moment. I'll bring her in. And, and, when, and when um Diane talked about her mom loving showbiz too much, I don't want to derail where we're going, but when she talked about loving showbiz too much or whatever, she was like, everyone love my mom. And we'll always be like, we love your mom. Whenever my mom comes with me to things or like, was that my birthday party? When I tell you, she sat in a corner the entire time, didn't move. People brought her food. They brought her drinks. They came over to kiss the ring. Everyone texted me after the party, including Ashley, who I could not believe stayed at the party the whole time because Ashley do not. That means it was really good. Yeah, and she was like, your mom is so great. We had such a great convo. Everyone was saying that. At one point, I got my mom some, I had the staff get her blankets and stuff because it was cold and we were watching the fireworks. I
0: turned around and one of my other best friends is under the blanket with my mama. (laughs) Oh my gosh. By the way, I just want to shout out this party. This is why I'm like uh, in love with you from afar. I believe there was a costume change. There was a photo shoot in like a full red bodysuit by a fire overlooking LA. I was like, this is how... We live. This is how we do it. It was it, it was incredible. It looked incredible. Fourth of July, yes. That's right, Fourth of July. it even had a name. By the way, you know, Yasser is a cancer too. Yes, I do. So, okay, okay, yeah. Uh, cancers are are a, like everyone's like, oh, your sign is a vibe. Cancers are a vibe. Like, c- cancer's a it's it's a it's distinct. And I'm obviously in love with it. I'm in love with him, and let me love with you. Okay, back to mm-hmm. Tyeann. So, where were we? Oh, single. Yes. You were talking about being single for 10 years and how it related to this. So with Diane, like
1: in relationships, kind of being like kind of cold, I was at an industry party and my mom was with me. And afterwards we were talking and I was just telling her my frustrations because she was kind of like, I don't like you being out here alone. I wish you did. Like, she's never asked me to like have a partner. And she's always like, you don't have to have kids. I didn't want to have kids. She always says that. Oh,
0: you're like to my face. <laughs> right. To my face in front of my
1: Sally, Lori. Um, but like, she loves us. It's just like, she had me at 21, what fucking
0: 21 year old. Yeah. She had a life to live. Yeah. But
1: she loved me. And, um, but yeah, no, my point was, she would say, I see you out and I've seen people walk up to you and actively flirt with you and you are all business. It's like, you don't even register it. And I was like, Oh, because we were at a business event. Like, you know, I'm not trying to get messy. And she was like, when you're single, you're looking for somebody everywhere you go, like the grocery store anywhere. And I was like, Oh, for real?
0: Yeah. You know, it's so funny. Molly Shannon's book just had date advice, which is like you're scouting Scout, 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 go to everything, go to every party, run the room, see if there's one person, get their number, leave. Scout, scout, scout. Um <coughs> I literally tweeted
1: and it. it's like low-key going viral, but I was like, um, work. I was like, finding love is way too hard. And it's unpaid. Very ghetto. Zero 10 would not recommend. I was like, I quit, bitch. No. No, I, no, no, I, no I, I quit looking for love. Like, I'm done with it.
0: Right. You that's not no. I I just met you and we are not close enough for this, but I will not I will personally personally. personally not let this. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we're going to be close. We're going to be close. Listen, I'll I'll get up in that phone. I'll start running those apps myself if I have to, but you are not off the table. But Um, Diane
1: with Monty, I felt like she sabotaged that relationship because that man actually liked her. And I've realized that I was always going after people who did not like me and who were not excited about me. And that was part of the reason, like even yesterday, I liked this guy. I've known this guy for years, had a crush on him. I finally was just straight up and was like, We should get to know each other and you know he texts me every day we have little conversations but he hasn't asked me out on a date he's like Mm -hmm, so I was like I was like this man does not like me and I was like I'm sitting over here trying to talk to a man and like get to know him and he does not like me and I don't know why he's doing that and sometimes I have to I forget that like when you work in tv or people maybe look at myself different than I look at myself so they always want to be cordial and nice but that doesn't necessarily mean they're interested in you and I was so frustrated that I was like I fucking quit I'm not fucking doing this anymore but But, I also like city boys and so does Diane Carroll so does she.
0: Well, okay. I have to say one thing and we'll go back to Diane, but, but it, there's also like you, you probably love the feeling of winning someone over. Like, you know what I mean? That you get a little high when someone's like, no, not you. And then you change their mind. It's like, Ooh, Oh, that felt so good. And then you just chase it. And then all of a sudden you're dating a fucking monster. Right. It's um, Like, Oh, they were cold, but now they're nice again. Oh. oh yeah. Oh my God. What a whirlwind. And it's like, Nope, they're just a bad person. but, When she marries Monty, he's a genuinely good guy who loves her, who, honestly, I'm a little worried about him because let's talk about this story. So, and maybe he wasn't great because this, I I just, it sounds great, but I just, I don't trust it. Go ahead. Okay. She said, uh, so she's falling in love with Sydney. Sydney is married and has children. She says, the morning I was leaving our apartment on 10th Avenue, Monty was in bed next to me. I abruptly turned to him and I said, I've fallen in love with Sydney Poitier and I'm leaving you. He kicked me to the floor. Okay, that's not good. Then he began to cry. We both did. I packed my things with my head spinning, feeling nauseous and so weak that it was difficult to even lift the slightest item. Then what happens is she, it's a a lot. She meets Sydney at the Waldorf. They're both leaving their partners. They're meeting at the Waldorf. Sydney gets there and he looks at her suitcase and he's like, "That's not very big. You never were gonna leave him, were you? You were always playing me. You weren't leaving him." And then you know they're in this huge fight. And then she finds out he actually never left his wife. She thinks he's like on a milk run, and he's at the Waldorf and like she at least packed a bag and told Monty he didn't tell his wife. So then Sydney's like, "How could you do this to me?" Somehow and the 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 fuck boy antics of a lifetime, the 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 the, the gold he spun, then. Dan goes back home to Monty and she's like, All right, Sydney didn't leave his wife, so I'm gonna like come back. And he was like, Oh, great, good. So then he just accepts her back. Then her mom's like, You should have a kid right now. And she's like, All right, has a kid with Monty. And then later, she is going to go back and forth with Sydney so many times, leave Monty constantly, always come back when Sydney fucks her over and Monty's like, come on back. And then in the end, in the end, she still divorces Monty to go back to Sydney. Like he never learned. And that's where I'm, that's he where does, I don't trust him. She was a little bit of a fuck girl then too, because
1: oh, huge. <laughs> she tells this story. She's like, well, Monty wasn't that mad because every time I left him for Sydney, I wasn't fucking Sydney. So he was like, well, did y'all fuck? And she was like, no. So let's keep it cute. I'm home again. And Monty beat her up. So I'm like, I don't really fuck with him either. So I'm like, you can leave this man and come and go as much as you please. But oh, yeah, yeah. I had to look up Sydney's sign because I was like, it's giving Pisces. Oh, no. And I looked it up and he's a fucking Pisces. Oh and Pisces my God. people love to create fucking fantasies in their head with people. They will be romantic as fuck to you. They'll tell you they'll give you the sun, the moon, the stars. And meanwhile, they got a whole fucking family. And another family down the street, like, and they never
0: going to be with you. And every time they with you, they thinking about their ex. Like, oh, my God. By the way, this is like really unlocking some things because you think of Pisces as like they cry, they're sweet, they're emotional. Like, this is the side of Pisces I don't know about. Because
1: if you meet an evolved Pisces, maybe they're not like this. But I have dated some Pisces men where like, they're opening all the car doors. They're buckling my seatbelt. I think this man really likes
0: me. This man don't like me at all. And she, I will say what you were just describing with this guy, like Sydney, (laughs) he's an asshole. He's, 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 and he always has this wife and these kids who he never has intentions to leave. His wife knows he's cheating and is like, please stop. And he just makes like Diane run in and out of her marriage for eight years to literally they buy an apartment in New York together. She uh, buys a bunch of furniture for it. Oh, she goes to Mexico to like get a divorce so that she can marry him. and then Sydney says he changed his mind, and then he I'm gonna write, I'm gonna read. He changed the locks so I couldn't get in. Then he made me write him a check to offset his purchase of their apartment and decorating costs, I did not even object. I did as I was told, submissive and desperate. I mean, and what's crazy is that
1: with the white men that she dated, who like adored her, even though they were fucked up and you know, violent, she was treating them like dirt, but Sydney, yeah. this fuckboy, boy, she was down bad. My good sis was down bad as that. Yeah. She was like, Whatever you want, baby. You want me to write you a check for this apartment that we're supposed to be in? I write it right now. Who am I doing? What you want me to write on the ledger? Like, what the fuck? Like when I read that, I was like, sis, Diane,
0: but I've been down bad over a man before. Oh, yeah. And I think it also goes back to she was raised so um. To just stay away from sex, stay away from intimacy, don't talk about love, don't discuss anything, don't learn about anything, don't know about yourself. And so, if you never, if that's never in your worldview, the moment some guy like this comes in, like you're learning everything from zero and it takes her eight years. And also, like the reason she's not having sex with Sydney is because she was so, she was so prudish. She wanted to, but she just like couldn't. So, she was having a full on like emotional affair for four years and like leaving her marriage. And like that's why they never had sex. It is, it is rough. And then for him, I feel like hold, withholding the sex was making oh, him even more interested until it was like a goal. Truly, truly. And then they go through all of this. Meanwhile, Suzanne is a child. Suzanne is the, uh, uh, you know, the child to make the marriage better. She is watching her mom break up in her eyes, break up her marriage to her dad for this man, Sydney, and go in and out. Then Su- Suzanne grows up, Tan grows up, She says she hates Sydney. And then one day there's this like little car in front of her and like won't get out of her way at like the Beverly Hills Hotel. She starts laying on her horn. She's like, who is this? Move your damn car. Sydney comes out of the hotel. And he's like, well, look who it is. And she's like, hello, Sydney. (laughs) And And then it like pops their bubble and they become friends to the point that one day they're leaving some event and sydney's like hey pretend to hold my hand like let's go walk up and like say hi to suzanne suzanne the person who at eight years old was like that man stole my mother and he's like let's play a prank on 30 year old suzanne suzanne's like a she's a superhero uh we need to check on her they walk up to her and pretend like they've gotten back together and suzanne in the book says "Ugh, not you two again (laughs) I know that's
1: right. Very (laughs) ghetto. Suzanne was like, this is very ghetto. Can y'all please stop doing this? You ruined my life,
0: Sydney Poitier. But also, can you imagine forgiving a man who had done that to you? I can't imagine forgiveness like that. And the way Diane wrote it, she was like, I just didn't care anymore. And I was like, maybe forgiveness is possible for me because I don't forgive. And I'm like, and I read about it in books. I'm like, no way. And then reading this, I was like, oh, maybe if I just forgot, like that would work.
1: I mean, it's also a trauma response that I highly resonate with because throughout the book, there was a point that I actually fucking laughed my ass off because Diane had a very hard life. And the way she glazes over all of the racism, all the blatant fucked up stuff that happened to her, she was like, yeah, sometimes they would be booing and throwing shit at me and calling me a nigger. So I would just scoot over a little to the left and keep singing my songs, you know, doing what I do. Like, Mm -hmm. she's not treating any of these traumatic experiences like with the gravitas that one normally would. And I think part of that is like, you just get through it. It's something that's a part of my personality too. Recently, I was doing some press and I had to hire a different hairstylist because mine was out of town. So my publicist just sent me somebody off of a list, and I was so accommodating to this person. I've learned to stand up for myself. This person came in, started trying to rearrange stuff, and like they were like, oh, we should do the, the, the hair and stuff out here. And I was like, no, I just had surgery, and I don't want to move on my medication. Like, Can we please do it in the office, like I said? But I had to work up the gumption to say that yeah, to her, because yeah. I'll just go with the flow. I'll be like, whatever. This woman burnt the fuck out of me. I have a scar on my face from her burning me. And when she burned what? me... I didn't even get angry. I was just like, she put something on and I was like, I, I just have to get depressed. I have to get to work. Like, I think jumping into work is something that me and Diane have in common when it's like, this shit is bad, but I'm going to just keep moving. Like, if I let things yeah. affect me, I'm never going to get anywhere. She even said something to that effect. But I laughed once because she talked about some great moment that she had on a late night show with like Frank Sinatra and da, 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 da. And then the end of the page was like, and then they called me a nigger. And I was like, <laughs> it's like something racist Yeah. Like, She'll be like, this amazing thing, couch with
0: racism. And it made me laugh so hard because I was like, what? Well, it's also so, um, you're right about it being a trauma response. And like, she wants to be an actor. She wants to be a performer. So like, and the amount of stuff that happens to her is like. Wow. It's so intense. And then what what totally tracks is that at the end of the book, she takes a real hard stance about Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> and <laughs> It's like, you know, this book is really set in the past because she's going through her life. But at the very end, Diane is on Grey's Anatomy playing Isaiah Washington's mother. And she loves this gig. She wants this gig. And she's going to be coming back next season. And then Isaiah says the infamous, very offensive uh, gay slur to his co-star. And he gets fired. And Diane gives this speech that's... Pretty much the speech of, like, you have no idea what I have been through (laughs) and, like, the stuff I had to endure to, like, be here. And, like, can't y'all just, like, work it out because, like, I was going to be on season three? She was like, okay, he got hate-crimed, and? Yeah, yeah, she's like, have you had bricks thrown at your head while you were playing Norma Desmond? No, get back on that set and let me be the mom. You dodged the bricks. Like, I don't
1: understand what's going on, what's wrong. And I actually had a desk thrown at me with a chair attached when I was in eighth grade. This big girl named Lala in Miami, uh, she did not like me. I was a cheerleader, and I was very, like, ostentatious, and she was very... Taught like just you know she was strong though she had muscles wow, wow. Oh, she was strong fuck desk and a chair <laughs> and she said something crazy to me and I had a smart mouth and I was just like you know if you fell off the face of the earth tomorrow no one would give a fuck but you and your damn mama and she picked this desk up and threw hurled it at me it had the chair attached and everything and I dodged that bitch ooh
0: good for you agile agile the cheerleading skills kicking in
1: <laughs> but like I remember like telling people that I had a desk thrown at me and they'd be like what and I'd be like oh yeah I- It's cool. Like You just move on from things pretty quickly. So she was like, now we're in a time where people are starting to sometimes get respect in the workplace. And she was confused. She was like, that's all? I'm
0: going to lose my checks because of that? Yeah, she was mad. She was mad, and like, <laughs> but like, when you read about like she's the star of a musical and she can't come because um, they are wildly racist and don't want black women at the party of the musical she's starring in, and she's just like, "All right, guess I'll go get a drink somewhere else." Like, of course, like, of course, this is her reaction to this, where she she was basically like, "Get a thicker skin."
1: <laughs> like, she was petty. One time, she had. Uh, several times actually she would and i've actually been clipped by cabs in new york city that's why when uber destroyed the cab Mm -hmm. industry in new york Mm -hmm. i was like i'm so sorry i know this is all life savings and this is really sad for a lot of you but also fuck y'all because y'all done hit me with cabs so many damn time and didn't want to pick me up didn't want to take me to brooklyn didn't want to pick up black people in your car sometimes i would have white people hail the cab and then i get in and be like gotcha bitch gotta take now like (laughs) so yeah 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 Good for you. Like, so when she tried to grab a cab once, and they sped off dragging her on the door, and then she got the license plate, and she reported them. They're like, "What are you going to report me for?" Like, I'm a white man. Like, you, there's nothing you can do. She still went to the courthouse, reported him, made him show up to court, and got him a five day suspension, which he, sh- I'm sure, he didn't even have to adhere to. But she was
0: petty. She was like, <laughs> "Yeah." in it, and and but like, and when she does things like that, you're like, "Yes, thank God!" Like, you know what I mean? Like, because she does have to like take. She just has to take so much bullshit, especially from the men who are, like, executives or hiring her or deciding, like, if she gets a role. Um, Okay, so back into her love life. um, And this relates to what you're saying, too, about the trauma response, where basically she then, after Monty, after Sydney, she starts dating this guy, Alan, who—this is such a pattern in female memoirs—a man who doesn't have a lot of money. And then he starts telling the woman who does have money that she's a capitalist pig— He literally calls her a capitalist pig, which Carly Simon has this whole thing of partners being like, you're bourgeois and like making them feel bad about having money. And then, and this is how she writes it in the book. She'd be like, and then he like kicked the shit out of me one night. So I, you know, I had to divorce him and you're, and it's one sentence and you're like, that's it. What? She's like, yep. And then she's like "On to the next. And like, and she dealt with a lot of physical abuse and it is not talked about with any, Not that she has to, but it's not talked about with, like, a lot of, like, weight and gravitas. It's, like, she really is breezing by them, almost as if it's, like, kind of a part of it sometimes.
1: Yeah, she was like, yeah, somebody kicked me in my face and was like, I'm going to make you
0: ugly. And I was like, all right, bye. Like, (laughs) see you. Insecure men do not like when men have—or women have more money than them. No, but then they would go after her and try and date her, nonetheless. Okay, so then— then there's David Frost. He's a TV host. And, okay, Lacey, I have to ask you if you would want, what you would prefer. This is the proposal he gives her. He says, in one pocket, I have a brooch. And in one hand, in one pocket, I have a ring. You can pick. If you want the ring, we're going to be engaged. If you want the brooch, we shall continue our friendship. What is it that you decide? This is his marriage proposal to her. Question for you. Would you want that marriage proposal? I was like, I'll take both. Let me get the brooch and the ring. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and Diana's like, I'll take the ring. And then two days later is like, nah, just kidding. Like, switch it out for the brooch. And then marries a guy named Freddie, who sounds like a mobster. And like, she literally in the picture of them in the book, she says, it's like we got married and then walked the other direction from each other and like just like never saw each other again. They're divorced like within a month.
1: Yeah, he dressed like a rapper. He was very loud and flashy and gaudy. And yeah, he's essentially just like a fuckboy like yeah
0: but she like marries him and you're like whoa this is this is a lot um then she describes maybe having a little bit of a drinking issue and you're like oh sure sure you do and then says at one point she was at a restaurant with like a guy she was dating and he wasn't getting the hint she wanted to go home they were on a double date and she was like, I want to go home and get ready for bed and do my exercises. And so then she just started doing them on the floor of the restaurant. And she was like, that's when I knew I maybe had an, an alcohol problem. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's how you know you have an alcohol
1: problem. That shit was funny as fuck. She was like, I'm going to get my exercise in. And that's what yeah. I love about Diane. She was going to find a way to get her way, no matter what. Even with everything in the way, she was
0: going to find a way. So she was like, oh, you're not going to take me home? I right, bet. Well, I'm doing my exercises now. <laughs> yeah. And then she marries a 24-year-old named Robert when she is 40. We love that. But he's super shady. He sold their wedding pictures to Jet Magazine. And she found out when she saw them on the cover of Jet Magazine. So rough. This part is breezed over so wildly. She's like, he struggled with alcohol abuse. He would sometimes get depressed. I took a trip to New York. I got a phone call. He had gotten drunk and crashed his car and died. And you're like, huh? what? And then she's like, and then I had to, my friends were like, you better get on up, Diane, and keep on going. So I had to, and you were like,
1: what? It was absolutely wild. And he was broke, and he was trying to start a PR firm, but had absolutely zero skills. So he was trying to use her, because he asked all of her friends, and they were like, no, girl, we don't know you, and we don't think you know PR either. And then he was like, all right, Diane, you got to be my client, because you're my wife. And he, she was like, ah, ah, no, I don't. Yeah. And like, he... He was just a leech
0: and then crashed his car and off a cliff. Died. And I was like, what? But she, And that's kind of how she writes it. She was like, he was such a leech and then he died. It was really sad. I was really sad for a little while, but you know, life goes on. <laughs> Here's some pictures of me. Yeah. And then she was like, if you take one thing from this book, she says, you can love them, but you don't have to marry them. Like, just love them and don't marry them because she would marry these men. She marries this Italian singer named Vic Diamon. Di- Diam- I don't know some I know he's famous and there's some Italian woman listening to this being like god damn it Chelsea you know the name of this but whatever I don't and they all would marry her and then they would get divorced and they would try and take all of her money and like Vic is like her fourth and final marriage who does this but that was the
1: time like like if you were respected if you were a married woman especially if you were of a certain age you were expected to be married because that meant somebody loved you and owned you or something oh. so
0: she was oh. like I guess I'll just keep getting married. Yeah, I guess I'll just, I'm a respectable lady. (laughs) Um, Love that she keeps on getting back up. Um, And then in the final part of the book, Diane gets breast cancer. And she, this is like weirdly this horrible thing that kind of gives her herself back. And she said she realized she likes talking about issues and like being a spokesperson. And she all her friends like come to her side. She realized how much she loves her friends and believes that it got her healthy enough. Like basically having breast cancer helped her share about her life and sharing about her life helps her heal. And she overcomes breast cancer and like starts to open up and like gets better friends. And this is when she's like, I'm single. I love the beach. I do what I want. And And I was like, yes, I love this. <laughs> She also had to downscale her lifestyle to your
1: point of like all the divorces and stuff. Like she was driving a Rolls Royce. She was like, I'm gonna drive a Rolls Royce to the day I dis, i.e. like bury me in this bitch, drive it into the ground. And like it was falling apart and she was still clinging on to it because it meant something to her. But she downsized everything, like her house, everything, and started living within her means. But I think also breast cancer made her a spokesperson. And Diane loved attention and she loved being famous. Mm-hmm. And so when that- And she didn't want
0: it to go away.
1: Yeah, when it started to dwindle, when she got older, and then she got cancer and all the girls were like, oh, talk to us about the cancer.
0: She was like, I'm back. Yeah, I'm back and I'm a cancer spokeswoman. She doesn't even look at cancer as the most devastating thing. She was like,
1: <laughs> like I know you make making- Yo, Simply Lemonade ain't got shit on Diane because she was taking
0: them lemons and making lemonade all the time. You're so right. Because I even when I was recapping it just now and I was like, and then she got cancer and I was like, why am I saying it like this? Like, this is pretty intense. And I was like, oh, because in the book, she was like, started going to speaking arrangements. uh, Really, you know, loved it. I had this doctor, I had this, I had this. Like, yeah, but you're right. She also is like, I had to stop like going to Nordstrom's and like buying hundreds of dollars worth of clothes. And then she also said that having a car that needs repairs done is like someone calls her; and they're like, that's the sign that you're not getting work anymore. Like you can't be driving a car around that like needs repairs. But I was also like, what kind of, what kind of repairs were needed that they were visible from the outside? Like what happened to your Rolls Royce? Diane was also a bad driver.
1: I'm a bad driver. And I feel like maybe Diane had done hit some stuff.
0: Yeah, I think she did too. <laughs> I think she did
1: too. At one point, I had a Ford Focus that I had, like, someone sideswiped the mirror off of my car. And at the time, I couldn't afford to, like, get it fixed. So I went and stuck a hand mirror from the dollar store on my car. It, it had all types Lizzie! of dents. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I would- I was ballet too. I didn't give a fuck. And when you know the ballet people walk around the car to check off the damages, I said, "Boo boo, do you see this car? I am not gonna try to charge y'all for nothing, honey." And I one time I got sideswiped by a bus. I just kept driving, and people were staring at me. And I was like, "What are they staring at?" And then I pulled over, but half of my bumper was hanging off the car, just dragging. And I was like, hmm, "Oh my <laughs> oh. god." <laughs> I didn't get the car fixed until a weird miracle happened. I was parked on my street, and I've lived on the Moorhood part of Melrose Pass, uh, Western. And so they were doing repairs on the street or building something, and one of the tractors or whatever those devices are sideswiped my car from top to bottom, and it was on the side that my mirror had already been broken on. So when I came out, I was like, oh, bitch, let me throw on a neck brace. Oh, oh, they ruined my car. The city owes me money. And so they had to pay to fix
0: my whole car. That (laughs) (laughs) is... Incredible. That's it. also like i I like yester and Ashley were like you and lacy would be friends and, and I think we have a lot of similarities, but I have to say, um, I also my car got hit and yesterday be like, when are you gonna fix that? I'd be like, fucking never, man. Like what <laughs> never? Never. The answer is never. It got hit again. I was like, man, this is really. When I went to return my lease, it was the day before I moved to New York. I brought it in on E. Like I just like barely made it in. it's all banged up, and they were like, "Can you do like you're gonna have to do paperwork on this?" And I was like, "I gotta catch a flight. Like you're just gonna take these keys and go." And they just know in that moment that you're so crazy that they have to accept. They're just like, "Yeah, I guess we're gonna." take this car back with like dents all through the side. And I was like, I didn't hit, I didn't hit anything. This was someone else. Uh, and they were like, no gas. I was like, no gas. See you later. It's all fumes. You actually gonna have to put it
1: in neutral and push it in. Cause I barely made it here. I barely made it here, my friend. <laughs> and I have run out of gas on the road before more than once. And also my last card thing I'm going to say, and now I, I realize i really fully am Diane Carroll and it's low key terrifying <laughs> me. Um, I got into a car wreck on my way to shoot single parents. And like, it was like a car wreck where my car like skidded up on the curb and I like hit a mailbox. Oh my and God. I got out of the car and it was because this man was trying to make a left-hand turn and it had just rained. And if you know drivers that like, it's most slick when there's fresh rain. They were trying to make a left, and you know in L.A. you got to make a left on a red light or a yellow yep. light, but yep. I was going too fast to slow down, and so instead of this man assessing my speed, he still tries to make the turn. We crash into That's each other. That's very L.A. Uh-huh. I slide up onto the concrete. I get out of the car unscathed. This man is so mad. Some bitch-ass snitches across the street like, it was her fault. It was her fault. What? She was running the red light, like, stayed until the police came to snitch on me. I was like, I'll kill all of you, and then... <laughs> Parents, I call my agents. I say, "Y'all, I was in a little wrecky wreck or whatever. Like my car up on the curb, but I'm about to just call AAA and then Uber. So I just called AAA.
0: I didn't even wait for them to pick the car up, and then I was work. <laughs> Good for you. That is so funny. Also, Dolly Parton, first day of recording her album, crashed her car into the recording building. <laughs> Left there? Went in, recorded album. They're like, did you see some crazy person crashed into our building today? And she was like, that's wild. And she was like, guess I don't own that car anymore <laughs> and just left it there. So you're giving very Dolly Parton energy. You got to get to set. Um, Yes, that sounds like that was Diane because her car was a mess. And then her manager was like, you look like you don't have money. So she's like, give it up. When she is with Vic... And she gets the role of Norma Desmond, where she's going to be the first black woman in this Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. And it's this whole thing. And Norma drives a Rolls Royce and she drives a Rolls Royce. And Vic is upset that his wife is like a musical star in Toronto, I believe. And like, that's what undoes their marriage. Um, But okay. And then in the book, this is kind of the, this is the very end of the book. She had two things that I loved that she said. She said, um, it's weird. Memoirs had this phase where, like, at the end, you just th- go into, like, your hair and makeup. Like, Shania Twain does it. Delta Burke says it. Where they're like, I told you about my life. All right, let me tell you about my hair and makeup. And Diana basically says, uh, plastic surgery, uh, on plastic surgery, she says, artifice isn't just fun, it's my architecture. So she's just like, I'm getting work done constantly. <laughs> She
1: was like oh, i gotta get these tune-ups she went in to get her face
0: snatched like a chip clip but
1: what i love is she was like i do it subtly like i get little things and i do that too like i've had a little botox at the top of my head but i can still move my my uh eyebrows oh, yeah. because i need to act you know i've had some fillers under my eye to keep me looking refreshed and cute it's, oh should i get them Lacey? should i get them i love them i love them it makes i'm scared oh no i got a good girl oh, girl I'm... i I i got you okay but okay. um but literally, like, it's her armor, her whole physical appearance, yeah. the armor that she puts on to walk out into the world. And I really resonate with that.
0: I, I completely do. And I, like, I, I even though, I, honestly, she's honest about it. And also, like, I love makeup. I love dressing up. And it makes me feel better to look like that than to not. And, like, I get it. I, I really like that for her, which then takes us to her one-woman show. It's the end of the book. She's like, I'm still going. I'm going to write a one-woman show. She's singing. She's doing monologues. Okay. At the point she is in her life, like this isn't like a, uh, like she's not selling out every night. Like it is a small black box theater, one-woman show. I love that she's doing it. She pays Bob Mackey. I was delighted that she included the price. $13,000. And the dress is like, she's like, I just wanted a basic black dress with some sparkles on it, like a nice waist. And Bob Mackie did it for $13,000. I was like, oh my God. But I love knowing how much Bob Mackie costs. New, uh, liked that. We will spend some money. Like- Yeah, I will. I go to Chanel. I'm
1: like, let me get some bags. Let me get a few. Like, I will I will drop bread on clothes and just be like, mm. I've spent $14,000 on clothes and one sitting in a store. Now, mind you, my what? tax accountant was like, oh, you need to like spend some money because you know you're about to get hit. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, I can expense this because this is all wardrobe for carpets and stuff. If I'm not using a stylist, I went in there and just spent $14,000 like it was nothing. I went into Cartier and spent $20,000 like it was nothing. And I, I, I terrify myself sometimes because i'm like oh my god but i saved my money when i had to pay my taxes i had all the coins i'm secure but i was like wow i just do not i will spend an absorbing amount of money and not blink a fucking eye i have not
0: closed my jaw since you started speaking <laughs> okay okay that we are very i can oh my god i <laughs> Think I'm gonna need a minute. Oh my God. I will say, I'm also like, because he has to say about me. He he's like, everything about you costs $20, and you've got 10 of them. And I'm like, that is absolutely right. Like, I will, I will look up the Chanel knockoff if I like before I ever buy Chanel. Like, I'll be like, I'm sure someone makes it. Oh, it says Chanel with a K. I think that's okay. No one will know. Um, but no, you are Diane, where she is like, I need this, I need this, and I've bought it. Um, and the the book ends with her talking about how she's like gained weight, she's like a size eight and she goes shopping. And the woman's like, I'm so sorry, Diane, like you're, maybe she's like a 10 or something. And she's like, wait, I'm a 10. She's like, can I still wear couture? Can I still wear couture? And they're like, we're sorry. It it only goes up to an eight. And then the whole book is like, then I had to accept that I can no longer wear couture, which truly was emotionally a lot for me. <laughs> and I
1: was like, you know how many times I go into the Webster and I try to get a dress and they only have a zero or a two. And then I go to the award show or whatever and I see P.D. twins in the same dress that I wanted. Like, and they're
0: like, yeah. A zero. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I, but it was like she had a life where she was in couture and like had to come to the conclusion she could no longer. And it was like this big deal. And then the, the, I think one of my favorite stories in the book is she talks about self-acceptance and like how looks always meant a lot to her. But how um, like coming together with Suzanne and Suzanne's kids means means more to her. So when she goes to the photo shoot for the front cover photo of this book and she cannot fit into the dresses, she borrows the photographer's black button up puts a belt on, and that's the exact cover photo. She's like, I couldn't fit anything. I wore his shirt, but I accept myself. I love myself. And you never would have known because she, she has pearls on. Her legs are looking incredible. And that's the photo on this book, the photographer's black button-up. We're going to make it work. We're going to make it work. And what? Diane
1: always did. And she's ridiculous. And when I say things, it's so funny you said that, Chelsea. When I was talking to you about that stuff, I didn't think that was shocking
0: when I was saying that to you. What? But I was like- are you <laughs> Lazy, I'm here. I'm here to shock. Yes. <laughs> That's a car. That's a car. We're not repairing. You could have gotten a brand new car.
1: <laughs> Ooh, I've never even divulged this kind of stuff. On my podcast, I very much cosplay poor. People don't need to know I have money.
0: <laughs> uh, no, it's good. It's your secret over here. And on this podcast, I'm just constantly sobbing. So trust, uh, all all vulnerability is welcome. Um, okay. So this is the very, very end of the book. Um, she ends the book with this. I want to read it. She said, The lady on the cover of this book is one who has lived and still has some lines of experience on her face, at least before the retoucher got to it. And she says some other things, and she says, But you know what she most definitely is? She's happy. I hope you like her. I do. Some people come of age as teenagers. I came of age as a senior citizen. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to get myself ready to go out to dinner. It will take a little time and effort. And as I've said, I really don't know who I am until I've put on my makeup. And you know what? You wouldn't know me either. She's funny. She's poignant. She loves herself. It is such a good book. Okay, Lacey, we end every podcast with something I call the book tool test. <laughs> it has three questions. Question number one, was the author vulnerable? Like, did she share her truth?
1: Um, She was vulnerable enough to make you feel like you knew something about her, but she definitely kept a lot of secrets to herself and glazed over a lot of dark shit. Like, even with the drinking and stuff, like, I just feel like she
0: is. She made a joke of it.
1: Yeah. Like, she's not going to tell you how bad it was. She's never going to tell you her lowest point. And I can completely resonate with that because as much as I talk on wax, uh, people think they know me, but they have no idea how my life is, how I'm feeling. I can literally be, I was having a panic attack shooting at work the other day and I was like, can I just have some apples? And I kept going. And at lunch, I went and got a Benadryl because that's like my low grade Xanax. And yeah. I got a Benadryl and came back and none were the wiser. It's like, you're never gonna mm. know what's really going on.
0: Ooh, Lacey, that was, I feel like I would like, like that's the start of your like, e true Hollywood. And I want the details. And, uh, um, and you're right. That is exactly the level of vulnerability she has in this book. Okay. Question number two Was it entertaining to read? Absolutely. I was having a ball. I was me laughing.
1: Too. I was crying. Um, this book scared me. It actually is making me emotional right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, so this is the podcast where we cry. Because
1: it was like a cautionary tale. It's like if I keep living the way that I'm living and not enjoying my life and just working and working, because that's the only place that I felt truly happy. And making work my partner, my spouse, and everything that I could hopefully get lucky enough to be like Diane and have a golden years where I finally live my life and have hobbies and I'm happy. Or I could die before that ever happens. So I was like, I have to like fucking get some hobbies and live life
0: and stop working myself to death. You're like, I have to learn how to make bread or I'm going to fucking die. I'm not to get right now. I'm going to die. Uh, no, I, I, but, oh, Lazy, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, but also, like, yeah, I, I relate so much, too. I, I work is kind of sometimes the only thing that makes me happy. And, like, that's not, it's not ending well. You know what I mean? It isn't. And then what happens if that changes?
1: I feel like I work so much because I never want to not be in demand. So I'm creating my own things. I'm doing all this stuff. And some days I wake up and I'm like, why the fuck am I doing this? Nothing matters. <laughs> and, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, and then you get out of that feeling by working more, which like it then makes it, because like you said too, like your podcast is every week and you have a full time, like you have a full other career. I'm about to write a book. I'm like, Um, creating a sizzle right now is this
1: an exclusive oh shit yeah it is uh
0: many years in the making so it's back (laughs) okay first off um i've booked you on celebrity book club already you're already coming back um this is your official booking i'm so excited you write a book and also what you said of like no one knows your truth it'll be in your book and it'll be such a gift to all of us it's
1: basically gonna
0: be the fourth it's
1: not gonna be in my book (laughs) Sorry, my book is about <laughs> scams, and it
0: will, it will it will have some anecdotes about me, but yeah. Can the ultimate scam be how <laughs> you got around giving your cell? <laughs> yeah, I
1: did at least for now. My face is not even going to be on the cover. I told the publishers that I want people to see this book and not know that a black person wrote it until the very end. I don't even want to be on the back page. I don't want you to open the book and see me. I want it to be on the insert of the last page, and like, got you, bitch. You read a black lady book. You should. You should. <laughs> He was, you know, Diane Carroll knew how to avoid racism by kind of sneaking around it. So, yeah.
0: Wow. I, 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 please make your, please do a beautiful author photo. And the caption is surprise, bitch. You read a black lady book (laughs) (laughs) and you liked it, didn't you? Okay. But that being said, podcast, book, your full career on this podcast where I'm going to send you some hobbies and I'm also going to get on dating apps for you. <laughs> and please,
1: you, and- I'm going to send you my number. I'm so serious. Cause I'm trying. I went to yoga in the park yesterday and I had surgery. I had to have fibroids removed. I know we we're out of time, but I had to have fibroids removed. And, um, I had a minor procedure and then went back to work immediately. And then I, they just died in my body. And one day I woke up and I couldn't walk and so I called one of my very good friends, Mary, and I was like, hey, girl, you doing anything right now? Can you uh, maybe take me to Cedar's Eye Eye? Oh, uh, Lacey. This was a month ago. And um, I ended up going back to shoot the Lopez pilot three days after. I was in liquid tape and stitches, and I was on, you know, painkillers, and I was working. Like, that's how much I work myself. So reading this book, I was like, I'm going to change my life. Like, if you're yeah. not changing it, you're choosing it. So. I'm
0: working on it. That was so beautiful. And that also was um, so well said. And the last question of the book, they'll test was, did reading this book elevate your life? And the answer was yes. And the answer is yes for, for me too. And I have um, my best friend read it. My mom's reading it. So you can, I mean, it's a good book. I, I, I highly recommend this one. Um, Legs are last to go. It's a perfect title. And she's funny the whole way through, which is very you too. You know what I mean? Where you can always, be funny. Um, Lacey, I loved you before you came on, but now I'm deeply in love with you. I'm going to tag Ashley and Yasser for your number immediately. Um, and Thank you so much for coming on. And you guys, she hosts Scam Goddess, which I'm sure everyone already listens to. But um, where can people find you on social media just in case they don't already follow you?
1: Yes. If you like robbery, fraud, and comedy, Scam Goddess Pod. If you want to follow and look at all the pictures in the episode, Scam Goddess Pod on all platforms. If you want to follow me, D-I-V-A-L-A-C-I, Diva Lacey on all platforms. And if you want to watch anything, I'm in a Black Sketch Schedule show season two, iCarly season one and two. Better Call Saul, which people saw me in the season five. Yes. I Honeydew. People would still tag me about that and it's
0: literally the smallest role and they're like, oh my god, you are the hooker. So that's a good role. Out there. It was a fun ass. Also, you just heard you just heard how she was talking. She's about to be in a thousand more things. <laughs> yeah. That's all for this week's episode. As always, I'm on Instagram at Chelsea Devantes, posting a bunch of book club stuff. It's linked in the show notes. Please leave us a review, post about the podcast, or become a member of our Patreon patreon.com slash chelsea there's so many tiers that give you cool exclusive perks so go check it out if you're interested in supporting the pod and a huge shout out to our amazing producer kate downey and our episode engineer dj bouncy house and we will see you guys for another juicy book soon